the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. They would forsake the true and living God, the spring of living water, for the sake of worshiping these false gods. They would forsake him. Now, in your Bible, circle the word forsake or highlight it. It is the Hebrew word azab, and it means to disregard, turn away from, let go, or desert. They had, they had deserted God. They had let go of God, and they had turned to these false gods, and without him, the spring of living water, they will surely, like us, die without him. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. Even if you were able to perfectly keep the Ten Commandments and follow the laws God gave the Israelites, your heart would remain sinful. As Pastor Gary will remind us in today's message, we are living in a spiritual desert. The best of our efforts are not enough to bring life into it. The only way we can have life is by fully relying on God. He alone can provide water that will sustain us. If you're seeking that sustenance from any other source, you'll ultimately be let down and miss out on all he has to offer. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, as he continues his message, Broken Cisterns. Jeremiah 2, verse 13, this is what God's indictment is against the Jewish people. Which is, this is true for all of us. So I want you to put yourself in this story now. Here, here we go. In verse 13 of chapter 2, my people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me. This is God speaking. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And two, they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Okay, that's God's indictment. So all the sins of the people can be boiled down to two things. And I'm going to put on the screens for you these two things. Here's the first one, that they have forsaken God, the spring of living water. Now, we need to understand the richness of the meaning here. What is God actually saying that they've done? So we need to first appreciate living water, water specifically. Everybody understands that water is a precious commodity, uh, especially if you're living in an arid climate like the Middle East. <laughs> you need water. All of us need water, but especially in this environment. A freshwater source is vital to the survival of any people, which is why most major cities, ancient and modern, have been built on 
a fresh water source nearby. Consider some of the major cities in the world like London, Paris, New York, Chicago, Washington, D.C., Moscow, Dubai, Amsterdam. These are all major cities that are built right along fresh water because everybody understands you got to have a fresh water source in order to survive. But Jerusalem is unique in that sense. It's not built by any fresh water source. Now today, they, they irrigate the water in from the north, from the Galilee. But back in this day, the only water source that sustained the city of Jerusalem were two springs. That's it. One is an unnamed spring in the Bible that filled the pool of Bethesda in the northern part of the city. And one was a spring named in the Bible called the Gihon Spring. They were completely dependent on the source of these springs for water. So you have to, you have to kind of transport yourself and begin to think. We have, we have such a luxury now. You just, you just go to your sink and turn on the tap water. And so we take it for granted. Um, and we have water, you know, anywhere we want water. You go buy bottled water, just turn on the faucet, you got water. Not in those days, friends, okay? They didn't have the luxury of that convenience. So water was scarce, and water was necessary for, for their survival. Now, kind of get the picture here, what God is saying. Because what the indictment is, you have neglected the source of your sustenance. Okay? He's like, saying, God is saying metaphorically here, I, I'm living water. And you need me as much as you need water for your very survival. We understand this medically. A person's health, weather conditions, and physical activity all factor into the dehydration rate of an individual. But generally speaking, medical science has proven that the adult human being can survive without water only two days to one week. That's it. And the reason is because our body is majority made up of water. 60% of the human body is water. 60%. And when you look at different organs in particular, the heart and the brain are 73% water. It sloshes around up there, doesn't it, from time to time? 73%. Your lungs, 83% water. Okay, the human body is majority water. So we need water for for our very survival. Dr. Randall Packer, a biologist at GW University, wrote for Scientific American... He said, quote, in a very hot environment, an adult can lose between one and one and a half quarts of sweat an hour. Quarts. He said, a child left in a hot car or an athlete exercising hard in hot weather can dehydrate, overheat, and die in a period of a few hours, end quote. So that's why we need to stay hydrated. Every cell in your body is dependent on water. Get the analogy here? God is saying, in effect, the concept here in this verse is that we should be as dependent on God as the human body is dependent on water. God is the source of life, He is the author of life, and He is the sustainer of life, and we should need Him like we need water. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't see their need for God. They're spiritually dehydrated. They don't see their need for God. This is the case for the people of Judah in Jeremiah's day. They didn't see their need for God. They said, we're we're fine. We don't need God. We're going to turn to other gods, gods that can't help them, gods that can't save them, gods that can't provide for them or protect them. I mean, the futility of the whole thing is just, you know, it's it's mind-boggling. But they're like, we're we're going to forsake the true and living God, 
And we're going we're gonna to worship these false gods. We're going to make gods out of our hands. And we're going to worship little idols. And we're going to turn to other gods. By the way, that just simply expresses the innate need in every human being to worship something greater than oneself. That they would turn to these idols. And they would turn to these little manufactured things. But they would forsake the true and living God, the spring of living water, for the sake of worshiping these false gods. They would forsake him. Now, in your Bible, circle the word forsake or highlight it. It is the Hebrew word azab, and it means to disregard, turn away from, let go, or desert. They had, they had deserted God. They had let go of God, and they had turned to these false gods, and without him, the spring of living water, they will surely, like us, die without him. Jesus said in Revelation 21.6, To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. There's this constant analogy in the Bible about God like water and our very survival dependent upon having him in our lives. But unfortunately, the people of Jeremiah's day, not too unlike people of our day, maybe some of you here today, you have forsaken the Lord, the source of your very survival. And notice in the verse here, it's not just that they had forsaken God, that's bad enough, the spring of living water, but they had replaced him with their own hand-dug cisterns. So that's the second indictment against them. They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Now again, this is metaphorical. He's trying to communicate the spiritual condition of the people. They've forsaken God. He's the source of living water. He's the sustenance, the giver of life, and the sustainer of life. And they've turned instead, and they've dug, they've manufactured for themselves cisterns. And God says, but on top of that, these are broken cisterns, can't even hold water. Now, a cistern is basically an an underground water tank that they would literally dig out of bedrock. And in Israel today, archaeologists have discovered more than 50 ancient cisterns just around the city of Jerusalem. And these are just holes in the ground. They would just hand chisel these and dig these out of bedrock... And cisterns were usually pear-shaped, so they were more narrow at the top of the ground where the opening was, about two to three feet, and then, it, and then kind of pear shape would be bigger underneath the, the ground, so smaller at the, at the surface, smaller at the opening at ground level so that they could then cover it with like stone or something to keep animals or debris from falling into the cistern. But, but this, these would be holding tanks for water. Now, typically, a a holding tank, a cistern like this is about 15 to 20 feet deep. It could hold anywhere from a few dozen to a few hundred gallons of water, depending on if it was a private cistern or for a community. Okay, when we go to Israel and we visit Masada, we go to Masada, which is this mountain retreat center that King Herod the Great had built for himself in the middle of the desert, down by the Dead Sea. there's, There's no water. I mean, the, the closest water source is miles away at En Gedi. So it's just this desert. So Herod, in, uh, just ingenious, in part of the mountain, he carved out cisterns, 12 cisterns in all that they've discovered, that capture the, um, the winter flash floods there in the desert. Still happens today. Uh, last time we were there in Israel, it had washed out part of the road uh, during the winter season. So flash floods come. Herod captured the flash floods into these cisterns. They've discovered that the systems at Masada, the cisterns, could contain as much as 300,000 gallons of water. That's almost the equivalent of an Olympic swimming pool. So they had these elaborate or very small cisterns, depending on what the need was. But this is the way they would capture water. And then they would go into the cistern, and they would line the cistern on the interior with lime plaster in order to make it more waterproof. But what would happen often is, 
is that the plaster would crack or there would be a fissure in, in the bedrock. And so all this water would end up seeping out. So now get, get the whole concept here of what God is saying. He's saying, listen, you have forsaken me, the source of living water, the spring of living water, and you've turned to these cisterns and they're broken at that. So people would fill these cisterns or capture rainwater in order to have like holding tanks of water, but they're not even comparable to the source of living water. So, so now understand the parallel here. Understand what God is trying to communicate here. The, these, these cisterns, the whole idea here, digging out your own cisterns, oh, and they're broken at that. It, he's saying, listen, you're expending a lot of effort and energy on something that will never quench your thirst or satisfy you because they have a hole in the bottom. And he says, this is the way your life is. You're living your lives in such a way that you're trying to find satisfaction apart from me. This is, this is God's, I'm summarizing. He's saying you're trying to find fulfillment, satisfaction apart from me, only to realize it's empty. It's like a broken cistern that can't contain water, can't hold water. You can't be quenched. You can't be satisfied because all the water you put into the cistern, it's leaking. What an exercise in futility. So, so he's saying to them, look at the comparison. Now, let me point something else out here historically because it plays into all of this. When we talk about living water, if you've been a Christian for very long if, or if you've been coming to church for very long, you know that there are references in the Bible to God-like living water, right? Like you have here in Jeremiah 2.13. But we've kind of over-spiritualized it. We think, okay, living water, picture of, of Jesus, picture of the Lord. Back in those days, they used the term living water for water that naturally bubbled up from the ground. And, and so they understood the difference between a cistern and living water. You see, the cisterns here, these would become stagnant. Algae, bacteria, okay? So not the greatest source of water, but it'll do if it's a matter of survival. But you have your choice. You can either be drinking out of a dirty hole in the ground, or you can be drinking living water that bubbles up out of the ground. Now, you see the, the contrast here. God is saying, this is who I am. Now, living water that bubbles up out of the ground, this is always sweet. This is always refreshing. This is always a wonderful natural source of water. It was the best drinking water. It was the best fresh water. So God is saying like, would you like this or this? You want to you drink muddy water out of a hole? Because... That's the way your life is without me. And by the way, you find that it's empty anyway because it's cracked. Or you can have me, the source of living water. This is like, it's like for us, like, do you want, you want tap water out of Leesburg's, you know, sewer treatment plant? <laughs> or do you want Perrier? You know, that's what I'm thinking right now. It's delicious. It's not even comparable. And so this is, the, this is the concept that God is saying here to the people. He's like, listen, I'm the source of your survival and your refreshing. And you know, I, I will quench every thirst, the deepest longing of your heart. But unfortunately, you've been drinking out of broken cisterns because without me, you will never be quenched. You'll never be satisfied in your soul. We got to get this, friends, because there are a lot of people in our world, and some of you might even be here today. You've tried everything without God, only to realize how empty it is. How empty it is. 
I think one of the best stories that illustrates this in the Bible is found in John chapter 4. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to summarize the events. It's one of my favorite stories for many reasons. But in John chapter 4, Jesus has an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Many of you are familiar with the story. Here's how it goes. You know, Jesus was fully God and fully man. But that humanity aspect of his being got tired and he got thirsty and he got hungry. So on one occasion... He sends his disciples into town. You guys go on into town and and buy some happy meals because I I just need to sit here by the well for a little bit. So so they go off. They go off into town to buy some uh, burgers and chicken. As long as it's kosher, it's all good. And and so they're at KFC, they're Burger King, and they're they're piling up food, and they're going to bring it back to Jesus. But Jesus wants to be alone right here at this moment. He sits by the well at Sychar. Because, see, Jesus knows there's a divine appointment. And his father has arranged a divine appointment with a woman who has no idea that she's about to encounter the living Lord. But as he's sitting there by the well of Sychar, all alone, disciples have gone into town, here comes this Samaritan woman with a jar to gather water out of the well. Now, it was the middle of the day, the Bible says, which was very unusual for a woman to come to gather water at the well in the middle of the day. Typically, typically, women would come together in the cool of the morning or in the evening to gather water. It was kind of like an adventure together with the ladies. They'd be like, you want to go get some water? Yeah, let's get some water. So they would go get some water. I mean, there wasn't Dallas Town Center Mall. It's like, what do you want to do? Let's get some water. So they'd go together. They'd get some water together. And, um, and it was a thing that they would do. By the way, ladies, I mean, the guys were home eating Twinkies, and the ladies were hauling the water jugs, you know. You've come a long way, baby. But anyway, so here, here the ladies are, and, and they typically would go, come as a group. Let's get some water. And so, but this dear lady's coming by herself in the middle of the day. Here's why. She has a past, and she has a present. And all the other ladies in town know, and they don't have anything to do with her. And she's too embarrassed and ashamed to gather water with the rest of the ladies. So she comes all by herself in the middle of the day. And there Jesus is. And he starts conversation with her. He asks her if she has a ladle or, or a cup or something to draw water out from the well. Now, this startles her. It was not typical for Jews to have conversation with Samaritans and vice versa, because back in the day there was long-standing hostility, animosity, and prejudice between Samaritans and Jews. Now, of course, not with Jesus. He has no problem talking to anybody. But she's a bit startled, like, oh, you're a Jew. You're talking to me. I'm a Samaritan. You're asking me if I have a, you know. And I, I read, and I could be wrong. I might have to apologize to her one day. I read a little sass in the story. She's a little sassy. She's like, oh, you, you, you Jews don't normally talk to us Samaritans, but now you don't have a cup, and I do, and you want to get water. Ah, how convenient. And Jesus says, oh, woman, if you only knew who you're talking to, I'd give you living water. I'd give you something far better than what I'm asking for. And she engages in small talk with him. She starts, she starts talking about Samaritans, theology, and Jewish theology, where you guys worship, where we worship. And Jesus just, just cuts through all of that, and he gets right to the heart of the matter with this particular woman. And he says to her, in the middle of all this like theological discussion that she wants to engage him in, He says to her, why don't you go call your husband? Why don't you go tell your husband to come here? See, he knows what her situation is. He discerns with the wisdom of of who he is what her situation is. He says, why don't you go call your husband? And he, he surgically, like a fine surgeon with a scalpel, is about to lay her heart wide open. He's about ready to do some heart surgery here. And he says, why don't you go call your husband? And she says, I don't have a husband. 
And he, with the discernment of the embodiment of wisdom that he is, looks at her and he says, I know, I know you don't have a husband, because the fact of the matter is you've been married five times, and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband, is he? You see, he was touching on what her issue was, that she'd been drinking out of a broken cistern all her adult life. See, she thought she would find satisfaction in a relationship. And when that one didn't turn out to satisfy, she tried another one. And that one didn't try, didn't satisfy, so she tried another one. And basically, she was in this situation where she just thought, if this guy would just love me, then I'll feel complete and satisfied. Okay, he doesn't. So if this guy would just love me, then I'll feel complete. He doesn't either. If this guy would, do you, see, do you see what she's doing here? And so what, what Jesus is trying to drill down on in her heart is to help her to recognize that until you drink from the living water, until you know me and have a relationship with me, there ain't another man on the planet that's going to be able to love you enough. See, because her satisfaction was in the wrong place. It was misplaced desire to, fight, to fill a, a, a need in her heart that only really ultimately Jesus can fill. Until she got that right, there wasn't another man on the planet who could ever love her enough. See, she was drinking from a cistern that was broken. It was polluted. It wasn't enough. It would never quench her, never satisfy her. And so Jesus then turns to her in John 4 and verse 14, and he says, whoever drinks the water I give him, okay, the relationship I have, if you take of my water, you will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she came to that well that day with an unsatisfied soul. And she left for the first time having an encounter with Lord Jesus, completely satisfied in terms of the deepest longings of her heart, like she had never been satisfied before. And friends, listen, this is who Jesus is. You know, if it's not multiple, multiple, multiple relationships to try to find satisfaction, it could be other things. People who are, you know, they, they turn to, you know, maybe money will bring me satisfaction. Maybe success will bring me satisfaction. You know, maybe, you know, s- sexual encounters will bring me satisfaction. You know, maybe, maybe if I just get stoned enough, then, you know, I can be numb enough to my world, and then, then I'll be satisfied, and I'll be able to manage life. And, you know, people go in search of all kinds of things to try to find fulfillment to satisfy the deepest longings of their soul, only to end up singing like the Rolling Stones. Can't get no satisfaction. I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I got, I got to get rid of Mick Jagger and spandex in my head now. But anyway, you get the idea. It's just this idea that some people are trying so many things in life only to realize, well, it doesn't satisfy. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried. Yeah, because you, you haven't really found the living water. And the source of living water is Jesus and knowing him and surrendering your life to him and letting him fill you up and satisfy you and quench the deepest longing of your soul. Stop drinking from a broken cistern and turn to the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ and find that he will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul in a way that nothing else and no one else can. Revelation 7, 16 and 17. The Lord says, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst, for Jesus the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. 
The book of Jeremiah that Pastor Gary has been walking through with you is one of prophecy. It's God's words to a nation that was facing the consequences of their actions. It's a picture of the future, but also a raw and honest look at the present situation. Jeremiah doesn't hide his emotions. And as you continue studying, you'll see his passion for his fellow Israelites and his deep desire that they turn back to God. We hope you'll tune in next time to continue studying this fascinating book with us here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can listen again online at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take all of Pastor Gary's messages with you on the go. Find a link to download on our website or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. What a great way to fill your day with truth from God's Word wherever you are. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services are at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. on Sundays, and child care is available. So bring your family. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today in our study of the book of Jeremiah. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to join us again for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know